Heavenly Father, what a joy, what a blessing it is to know that we have a Father in heaven who, as we have just finished singing, who cares, who cares deeply for each one, who knows our pains and heartaches because thy son walked here below and experienced the same things that we do. What a blessing it is to know that we have a high priest who's even right now interceding for us on thy right hand. Heavenly Father, we've been fed already this morning richly from thy word and we would pray from thee a few more morsels from thy rich table now. And so, Heavenly Father, divide thy word unto us and speak to us from the same. And we promise to give thee all praise and glory for thou alone art worthy. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The word of the Lord has opened to the 19th chapter of John, and I'd like to read a portion from the end of chapter 19 into chapter 20. John's Gospel, the 19th chapter, beginning with the 38th verse. John 19, 38. <clears throat> this takes place uh, immediately after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. There came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now is the place where he was crucified, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulchre, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulchre was nigh at hand. I'd like to continue reading into chapter 20. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and the other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. And stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulchre, and saw and believed. 
For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back, and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, and your Father, and to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples what she had seen, that she had seen the Lord, and that, she, that he had spoken these things unto her. I've finished reading with the 18th verse. And because we are very familiar with this account, I think we have a tendency perhaps to gloss over some of these things that are mentioned here and just think of them as kind of points in the story instead of stopping and thinking what it must have been like for those that actually experienced them in the moment. And the first part of this actually is, I think, in particular, one of those things. After Jesus died, they thought, I'm sure, that that was it. That was the end of this teacher come from Nazareth. And in light of that, the actions of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus are very heroic. They had nothing to gain from what they did for the body of Jesus. In fact, it would have been very damaging and dangerous for them to associate themselves with this one who was a heretic in the eyes of the uh, ruling uh, Jewish leaders. Think about that for a moment. I think we're often too hard on Nicodemus when it really mattered, when it really counted, when he had an opportunity to show what he really thought of Jesus, this is what he did. He went with Joseph and claimed that bloody body from a Roman cross, going in to the Roman prelate there and asking permission, knowing that it would defile him. Not only going into the Gentiles, but handling a dead body. I'm sure he knew that this couldn't stay hidden. The word was going to get back to the Sanhedrin and their position 
in the council would be forfeit. Remember, it was at least part of the council that condemned Christ that night before. So when we think about this, I think it really underlines not only the love they had for Christ and his teachings, but also the faith that they had that this man was a man come from God. I'm sure at the time they thought he was just another prophet that was killed for speaking the truth, as Israel had killed so many of the prophets that had been sent to her before. So I'd like to take a moment now and, and think a little bit about that. I think it's so important that our pulpit does not become just a place from which to hear comforting words, but the Lord, that the Lord can speak difficult things to us, things that are hard to hear, things that are uncomfortable. I speak for myself first when I say we're often too easy on ourselves. We, you know, like a, like a telescope or a pair of binoculars, when we look at our faults, we flip it around and look through from the big side down to the small and they don't look so big to us. And then for others, we flip it around the other way and their faults look big to us. We need to hear a word of correction from the Lord. We should never be unwelcoming to that. It's necessary for us. It's one of the, the, the operations of the, the Spirit of God. He corrects. We, we acknowledge that on testimony night when we're asked about what the Holy Spirit will do for us. He will correct us, but do, how do we receive that correction? How do we receive the ones that are doing the correcting? When it really mattered, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea stepped up and did what they knew was right. And it's interesting to see that they spared no expense. They didn't just give him a decent burial. They went all out. They didn't, they didn't hold back. Joseph gave his own sepulcher in those days, uh, you know, to, to dig a grave out of solid rock without the use of power tools or hardened steel, that would have required a lot of work and, I imagine, expense to prepare that. He had prepared that tomb for himself. Then it says they took a mixture of myrrh and aloes, a hundred pound weight, a hundred pounds of spices. I was in the grocery store the other day and going through the spice aisle to get some, some things for, uh, for Grace and was looking at the packages and I'm a value shopper. I like to know how much my dollar is buying me. And it's interesting, you start at the fancy packages that look good and then you check the net weight, how much you're actually getting for your dollar and then you realize, oh, over here, these bags are a lot cheaper than this fancy bottle over here. But Joseph was not budget-minded when it came to the Lord. Oh, sorry, it was actually Nicodemus that brought the spices, it seems. Nicodemus came with these spices. And when you think about that as well, you know, 
First of all, we know myrrh was very valuable. It was one of the gifts given to Christ when he was born. Probably helped to finance their flight into Egypt and their return maybe even to Nazareth, living in, in a, a foreign country. I think those things were probably sold and converted to money so they could escape the wrath of Herod. Where did he go at that late hour to buy spices in such abundance? We know the laws of supply and demand. When there isn't much supply, the ones who have the supply can demand a high price. Nicodemus didn't seem to mind. He paid it. He did what he felt was right for the body of the Lord to give him an, an, an honorable burial, as was prophesied. He made his grave with the wicked and in his death with the rich. You know, when we look at the prophecies of the Lord, so many of them seem nonsensical. You think, well, how could these things be? And yet we read the simple telling of the account and we can check those boxes and realize how each thing was fulfilled exactly in the way that God intended, using the people that he intended in the way that he intended, yet with the full cooperation of those who were involved. I mean, that's something, if you can explain that to me, I'd appreciate it because that's just something that my mind just short circuits on that sort of thing. I, I just simply lower my eyes and say, God, you are amazing to do such things in such a perfect way and yet still not, not force people. How God does that, I, I don't expect to understand down here. Maybe in eternity we'll understand a little bit more about how his will is accomplished. But the fact that he can do it using even our free will, because Peter tells us later on in Acts when he preaches that great sermon there, he says, if your rulers had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It tells us right there that they had a choice. With a bit of knowledge, they would have chosen a different path. It was their choice, and yet God used that choice to glorify himself. That's how powerful he is. That's how amazing he is. They took the body of Jesus, wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. They gave him the death, the burial, that he deserved. In spite of the rejection, in spite of, you know, you think what a, what, a, what a pain, what a sharp, piercing pain must have gone through the heart of Christ as he stood there on that balcony looking down at the crowd. Some of those perhaps he had healed, or at least their loved ones. He healed many, and here they are crying for his blood after all he had done for them, after the tears that he'd wept over them. And yet he did it anyway. You know, when someone hurts us, we can justify our actions. And we can even justify our actions to others. And people can say, oh, I can understand why uh, you would do that. I mean, that, that was really awful what someone did. Christ, knowing it ahead of time, went through with it anyway. What love. What matchless love, as the song says. They laid him into that new sepulcher, and then it says, there laid they Jesus therefore because of the Jews' preparation day, which, if I understand that correctly, <clears throat> the preparation day was another name for Friday. The Sabbath, no work could be done, 
So you had to do everything you needed to do for the Sabbath ahead of time on Friday. So they finished, and then another gospel, it says, and they rested uh, on, the, on the Sabbath. The scripture is silent about what happened between Friday night and Sunday morning. But I'd like you to think a little bit about what that must have been like. Think of the, the, the crushing disappointment that the disciples must have been under. We left everything as he called us. We left behind our nets. We left behind our ships. Matthew got up from that table where he was collecting taxes, turned his back on it to follow this rabbi. And now, three years later, all gone. What now? I'm sure they started discussing, well, what should we do? Do we stay here? How are we going to support ourselves? Do we go back to Galilee, where we're from? I mean, they weren't all from Galilee. They were from different places. What now? Perhaps some of you this morning have, or this afternoon have those same questions and don't know what tomorrow or the future will bring. Certainly this pandemic has made many things uncertain. But the Lord knows. The Lord has a plan, and more than a plan, he has a timetable even already. He knew ahead of time what was going to happen, that he would raise the third day according to the scriptures, even as everything else had happened according to the scriptures before this. But it's hard to wait on the Lord, isn't it? We're used to planning and choosing, not understanding then that when the Lord does things, he does them in his own time, in his own way, and yet they are, his ways are perfect. They are, they are calibrated to, to be the very best for us. We have a hard time maybe believing that, and so we, we like to try to help things along. I've learned over time that it's dangerous to do that. I'm much, much better off if I don't know for sure how the Lord is leading in a situation to wait, to wait on him until he shows it clearly. He will. In his time, in his way, he will. He always does. And usually at the moment where we finally resign and give up, then the Lord is there with the answer for us to show us the way. Again, in his time according to his wisdom. I really like Mary Magdalene. You, you, you see the intense love that she had for her Lord, the one that had rescued her from, the, from being possessed by seven demons. I don't even know what that's like. But for her, You know, she knew that on the Sabbath it was forbidden to, to maybe go the distance that it would have been to the sepulcher. But as soon as the opportunity presented itself, well, it was yet dark. How many of you ladies would go out alone when it's dark? You know, it may not be safe. She wasn't concerned for her own safety. She went anyway. Well, it was still dark to the sepulcher. 
and she saw something she wasn't expecting to see. I don't know why she went first thing, other than it must have been driven by the love that she had for Christ. I don't know what she expected to do. I mean, we, we read in another place when there was a group of women that went, and they were going to anoint the, the body. Uh, they, they didn't maybe know that Nicodemus had already done that. Uh, she got there and the stone was rolled away. Something unexpected. And so she ran to go get the disciples. You know, it's important... God has given us things to understand in his word. But it's important that we understand our own limits. And somehow, in the darkness, between the end of the third day and the beginning of this new day, the Lord did a work that was without precedent. He raised his son from the dead never to die again. A glorified body. Lazarus was raised from the dead too, but he would return to dust again. Christ never more to die. And he did it in the darkness. He doesn't tell us how it was done. Those details aren't given. It's just simply presented as fact. The tomb was already empty when they got there. So we have to be careful sometimes with the things of the Lord. There are things that the Lord gives us to understand, but there are other things that he keeps in the darkness to himself. And you'll see that pattern repeated in Scripture if you start at the beginning and go through to the end. And bear with me for those that may not have heard me say this before, but you can see this right from the very beginning. It says at the very beginning that darkness was on the face of the deep. We don't know what sort of a world existed before creation or what it was like. God just simply says it's dark. And then he spoke and there was light and things happened. And he begins to explain to us what was happening in creation. There was another time that I reminded of with Abraham when, when the Lord told him to sacrifice these animals. And so Abraham, it says, he divided the animals on either side and he waited all day. The birds started circling ahead, seeing the dead animals there. And he drove them off. And then finally, it says, the Lord came down in a horror of thick darkness and a burning lamp went between the pieces of those animals. In that ancient culture, that was a, that was a way a covenant was signed, like a signature is signed on our documents, that the, the two parties would go between those animals walking through the blood. But this time the Lord did it alone, and he did it in darkness, because he was going to do something that Abraham did not yet understand, that that covenant would be made in a way that no man could break. God was going to take that upon himself. He was going to pay the penalty for our sin. Again, when he sent his son into the world, he did it in darkness, in the blackness of the virgin's womb. No scripture tells us how that was done exactly. It just simply presents it. When Christ died on the cross, when he hung between heaven and earth, and his father forsook him in a horrible instant, the Lord allowed darkness again to descend. I don't think we should be too sure about how exactly it is that our sins transferred over to Christ, but they did. And that is the important part, and that is what we are asked to believe. The rest the Lord hid in darkness. 
And then again, when it came time to revive his son, again, in the darkness, he does, does the work. But the empty tomb is revealed in the daylight for all who would believe. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said. There's a lot that the Lord has revealed to us, but there's still a lot we do not know. And in some of these things, I think we do him more honor by praising him than trying to figure it all out. I was reminded of the hymn that we sing quite often from the gospel hymns. I'd like to read a couple verses. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why, unworthy, Christ in love redeemed me for his own. I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the Spirit moves, convicting men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. But I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him unto him against that day. Ultimately, our faith is not in our understanding of what he has done, but in the character, in the nature of who God is. May the Lord bless the word unto us, and may he dismiss us also with his blessing. This concludes our service.